Bibles to Galatians chapter 5. And we're going to be going through verses 1 through 6 this morning. If you've been with us for any length of time, you know that Paul has been dealing with a group of people, specifically through the churches, the churches in Galatia. Galatians is not a one church or one city, it's a region, kind of like talking to the uh, Inland Empire, where you have a group of cities. And in Galatia, there was these churches that Paul had planted. Uh, he's, he went and uh, ministered to them, shared the gospel, first and foremost to the synagogues and then the, the Jewish people. And then, of course, he went to the uh, Gentiles. Gentiles are everybody apart from the Jewish community. And a lot of people... A lot of people were saved. God opened the hearts of many, and uh, they were brought unto salvation. And Paul had talked to them about the law. Now, you have to remember that Paul was a Pharisee. He was a, a zealot Pharisee. He was a Jew of the Jews, a Hebrew of the Hebrews. Everything that the Pharisees would do and everything that they knew, he knew it to the, to the most uh, perfection of the law. There was nobody according to him, around him at that time, that knew the law any better than he did. And the law of God was given to us, as we've been studying through the book of Galatians, it was given to us as a tutor, as a guide, as a, uh, as a model, as a symbol. And it was supposed to be over us to show us we cannot keep the law. And the law itself, all the regulations, the rules, and the ceremonies, and the festivals and the holidays were all supposed to be symbols, like the symbol of the lamb that was supposed to be slaughtered. It was the symbol of Jesus Christ to come, like the symbol of Pentecost. As a matter of fact, today, I believe, is the day of Pentecost that is celebrated throughout the, uh, throughout the world, and it's, it's the beginning of the church when the Holy Spirit came down and, and had, had given the people uh, the ability to speak in different tongues, the tongues that the, uh, the, the, the writer, Luke himself, talks about, and we know what tongues they are, the, the 16 languages that are mentioned there in Acts chapter 2. It was a way to proclaim the gospel to nations, to people that could understand the gospel in their language. Now, the miracle was, you know, and it's debatable on how it happens, was it the people that were speaking, he says they gave them different tongues, or was it the people that were hearing, they heard in their own language? But the, part, the, the most important thing was that the gospel message was proclaimed and the church is, it was birthed from that event on the day of Pentecost. And uh, it was another celebration, kind of like the uh, Passover. The Passover was uh, another celebration. Those are all symbols of who, what, what Jesus Christ came to fulfill. And Paul is talking to the people in Galatia because a group of people came in and says, okay, well, that's great that you guys are now Christians. We too are Christians. And by the way, Christianity is meant just for the Jews. So if you really want to be saved, you have to be following the traditions of the law. Mainly in this section was circumcision. And this is what Paul is addressing. So Paul hears that these people are being told that, yes, they're Christians. Yes, they believe in Jesus Christ. But now they have to follow some certain rituals in order for their salvation to be complete. Paul starts off this letter in Galatians chapter 1, as he generally does, introduces himself, letting people know that he's coming, uh, you know, uh, to give a message. And then he runs right into the rebuke 
I am astonished, he says. I just can't believe it. I can't understand. What is wrong with you people? Basically is what he's saying. Every other letter that he writes, he always gives a commendation. He gives, you know, I'm praying that every you is okay, letting them know. Just giving them some commendation of some sort. Galatians is the only book where he doesn't give a commendation. He was livid that you can get saved by the blood of Jesus Christ as if that wasn't sufficient and think that you needed something else. Think that you needed to follow the rules and traditions and the laws of everything else. And so Paul just goes on and he unleashes on them for the next four chapters. And we saw this last, well, in chapter four, we saw the heart of Paul. And he said, you know, it, 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 it startled him. It, well, let me just go back there a little bit. It was there formally when you did not. I'm in chapter four, verse eight, if you want to ride back there with me. Formerly, when you did not know God, you were enslaved to those that by nature are not gods. But now that you ha have come to know God, or rather be known by God, how can you turn back again to the weak and worthless elementary principles of the world, whose slaves you want to be once more? You observe days and months and seasons and years. I am afraid I have labored over you in vain. Paul is saying, you know, I... It was like this, this woman that went into labor, this love uh, affection that I had for you and I taught you and I shared with you. And all of that seems to be as if I wasted it all. And I know parents that have gone through the rearing ages of, of, of life and bringing their children up. And it seems like somewhere something just got disconnected. And a parent thinks to himself, you know, it's like, why did I even try? Why did I even do what I did? All the love that I poured out into these kids and, or my child and, and, and then for this to happen. And so Paul is reprimanding them and is talking to them and sharing with them that, that you don't need anything else. All you need is the blood of Jesus Christ. It is sufficient and that is all you need and there's nothing else that needs to happen. Now, just to backtrack a little bit because I've been talking about the law and Paul is saying, we, you know, you're not under these laws, these ceremonies, and all these rituals that you're under. He's not talking about the moral law. He's talking about the laws that came as symbols. Like, for instance, we have a symbol of salvation here at our church, and one of them is the Lord's Supper. And the Lord's Supper, or the Lord's Table, as we call it, is people call it communion, people call it uh, the sacraments. And, and there are some that believe that when you take the bread, that you're literally eating the flesh of Jesus Christ. And it is called transubstantiation, that the bread literally transformed into the flesh of Jesus Christ. And that's what you're eating. And when the priest drinks the wine, he's literally drinking the blood of Jesus Christ. Now, that's, uh, that's called transubstantiation. Then there's another doctrine called consubstantiation, meaning that every time that you take of the wafer and the juice, it adds more blessing to you. It adds more to you. And so people want to make sure that they attend church, they make a, uh, an appointment or whatever it takes to make sure that they get that Lord's Supper in order to get the blessing added to them. Beloved, it is a symbol. It is a symbol of the salvation of Jesus Christ. Always has been and always will be. If you were with us, for Seder, for Passover, you saw how all that just came together and you realized all the, the whole Passover meal where Jesus Christ took the bread and where he took the cup, you'll see that it's a symbol, a picture of showing what Jesus Christ had completed. Same thing with the, our other symbol of salvation, which is baptism. 
Baptism doesn't save you. Baptism doesn't give you more blessing. Baptism is baptism. That's all it is. It's just you get wet for Jesus. But it's an outward symbol. It's a very powerful symbol. And it's a very important symbol, kind of like my wedding ring. When I have my wedding ring on, it shows and it symbolizes my devotion to my wife. When I take it off, it does not make me not married. doesn't matter if I, if I take it off or lose it or whatever the case is. This picture, this symbol is a very powerful symbol, and it should be, to, to, to the love and devotion that I have to my wife. In the same sense that baptism is that same devotion and love to Jesus Christ. You are identifying yourself to the church body, to those that are around you, to the world, and saying, I am no longer living. I, the old is gone, and you resurrect, and the new has come. Now, some people believe that you have to be baptized before you die, or otherwise you don't make it into heaven. This is one of the reasons we have what's called pedal baptism, or the baptism of children. And, uh, and, and it's, it's not a biblical concept. It's a symbol. It always has been. And so, so for any of us to take any of those things and somebody come up to you and say, well, you got to take the Lord's Supper. You got to be baptized or else you're not literally saved. There are other things, other traditions that people have placed on people as far as the salvation of the individual, speaking in tongues. If you don't speak in tongues, you're not saved. If you don't go to church regularly, you're not saved. If you're not dressing up or uh, addressing certain things, then you're, you're not saved. Salvation is by, by grace alone, through faith alone, in Christ alone. Can somebody say amen? amen? And it's only through him. And this is what Paul is battling with. The problem is kind of like what we talked about last week, and I shared a little bit about what um, Augustina Hippo said. This is back in the early, early years, the, one of the church fathers. He had said, all you need to do is love God and do whatever you please. And before anybody takes off from here, hearing that and saying, hey, Pastor Self said I can do whatever I want as long as I love God, you know, let me just clarify that a little bit. You see, when you love God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your mind, and with all your strength, and everything that you are, you're going to do what pleases God. And everything you do, that when you proclaim it, you do it because you know it pleases God. And so you can do basically whatever you want because you're pleasing God in those actions. And, and, you know, just to take a little side note here as well, when Jesus said, if you ask anything in my name, I will respond. I will give you what you want. I will, and, and people have taken that out of context. They've taken it and says, okay, I'm asking in Jesus' name for a wife, for children, or maybe no children. Get them out, or a different wife. I'm asking in Jesus' name for money. I'm asking in Jesus' name for health, for the health of my loved one. You know, beloved, people get sick, as we've seen from COVID. People die. They do. It just happens. I have pastor friends of mine that passed away. Uh, the same time that I was in the hospital. It happens. And, and there's nothing that we can do about that. When the time comes, the time comes. And for us to try to ask in Jesus' name, you see, once again, when you are asking in somebody's name, in the name of Jesus, and he says, you ask in my name, you ask in my name, and it'll be given to you because when you ask in my name, your will and my will are identical. You know what I want. You know where I'm going. You know what it is that I desire. You see, because to say that I can ask whatever I want and get it, then 
I guess Paul wasn't really that saintly because didn't he ask for this thorn to be taken from his flesh? Didn't he ask for this thorn to be removed three times? The Bible says he prayed. He prayed in such a way that, you know, he didn't just say, God, please remove this thorn from my flesh. I'm I'm just assuming the kind of man that Paul was. He just prayed fervently, probably fasted 40 days to get this away from him. And what did God say to him? Jesus said, my grace is sufficient for you. Don't worry about that thorn in your flesh. You just proclaim and do what I've called you to do. Every one of the disciples, I'm sure that they, we, we don't have record of them in the Bible, but we do have outside sources that tell us what happened to these disciples. Peter was crucified upside down. Paul was beheaded. John was boiled in oil. Uh, you know, tradition has it that every one of them died a martyr's death. And I'm sure they didn't want to die that way. And I'm sure, however, every one of them did not renounce Jesus Christ. Lord, if there's any other way, please take this away from me. And as we know throughout history, they all suffered and died. Their families were broken up, thrown into prison, some killed, and some fed the lions. Sawed in two, as the book of Hebrews tells us. The world was not worthy of them. You know, if you continue on in this thought, you, you can almost make the, the, the argument for saying even Jesus, I guess that he even asked, Father, is there any other way? Is there any other way that what, Jesus wasn't holy enough, wasn't perfect enough? What, you, you can almost make that argument. He asked, why wasn't it given to him? Because if you remember, yes, he did ask, Father, is there any other way? However, not my will, but what? Your will be done. Beloved, you're going through some stuff. You're going through some terrible stuff. And I know, you know, I'm, I'm going through some stuff. You know, I've, you know I, I can share with you all kinds of stuff. And all I do is I, I pray and I ask you to pray, okay, Lord, what do you want me to do through this? How can I get through this? What is it that, how is this going to glorify you? How is this event, this time, this, how is all of this going to glorify you? And so last week when I said, you know, just love God and do whatever you want, because when you do whatever you want and you're loving God with everything that you have, because that's the commandment, love him with everything, with your heart, with the core of who you are, the center of your life and your mind and your thought process and everything is just focused upon God. God is going to show you what it is that he wants you to see and do, because all we have is the word of God. And this will give it to you. And this will give you what it is that God wants you to do. And so we have this idea that, you know, and unfortunately for a lot of people in churches, they, they come to know who Jesus Christ is. They get baptized. They make a profession of, of faith. They raise up their hands and they cry and, and confess to the church or to people, I'm sorry for what I've done. And, and uh, you know, and, and that's it. And then they live life as before. They live life as if nothing ever took place. Well, but I made a profession of faith. I committed my life to Jesus Christ. Well, beloved, there's got to be some evidence. There's got to be evidence in your life that there is something changed within you. You cannot be reborn. Reborn is born again, born new, different. You cannot be born back into what you used to be. You come back out of that and 
go into the life that, that loves God, pursues God, pursues fellowship, and pursues the church and continues to grow and, and develop. And every day, your journey is to know God more and more and more because you want to do what you want to do. And that's which would you, that which you want to do is to know who God is and follow his example, follow the example of Jesus Christ. Paul takes this, this doctrine of, of understanding of, of uh, the practical living from, from chapter 5 to chapter 6, and we're starting off on this practical living. We did doctrine for the first four chapters. The last two chapters are practical living. Paul always does so. Starts off, this is what doctrine is. Right doctrine always gives you right behavior when you apply it correctly. And I mentioned to you last week, doctrine is important. We need to know what we stand for. We need to know what the Bible says. We need to get, gather all these inf- pieces of information that God has given us because this is all we have. We don't have any outside source. There is no outside revelation. There is nothing else but the Word of God. And anybody that tries to bring something in that's not in the Word of God, we don't want it. And if somebody tries to bring in something that is in the Word of God, I don't need it because I have the Word of God. This is all we have, and this is what we base our life on. And so when Paul is talking to the, the people of, of, of Galatia, he's sharing with them. He, he dives into the Spirit now, the Holy Spirit, and the Holy Spirit's responsibility. We're going to look at the, uh, the fruit of the Spirit. We're going to look at how Paul says to walk by the Spirit, not by the flesh. And he's gonna, we're going to look at how the Spirit is, enables us. And today we're going to look at what we call the perseverance of the saints. Firmly in his hand. I almost said firmly in his grip, you know, because basically that's exactly where we are. We're in his grip. And God is never going to let you go. Let's go to these first few verses in Galatians chapter 1, verses 1 through 6. And it reads this. For freedom, Christ has set us free. Stand firm, therefore, and do not submit again to a yoke of slavery. Look, I, Paul, say to you that if you accept circumcision... Christ will be of no advantage to you. I testify again to every man who accepts circumcision that he is obligated to keep the whole law. You are severed from Christ. You who would be justified by the law, you have fallen away from grace. For through the Spirit, by faith, we ourselves eagerly await for the hope of righteousness. For in Christ Jesus, neither circumcision nor uncircumcision counts for anything but only faith working through love father in heaven thank you once again for your word and lord as paul just starts to unfold the working of the spirit within our life the practical aspects of what he had just taught on the doctrines of saved by grace help us now to apply this message to our life from this point forward until the end of this chapter So thank you, Lord, once again for your word, because this is all we have. We don't need no outside revelation. We don't need no voices. We don't need any dreams. We don't need any visions because we have your word, which is sufficient. So lead us, I pray in Jesus' name. Amen. For freedom, Christ has set us free. Stand firm, therefore, and do not submit again to a yoke of slavery. Stand firm. That's a command. He's telling you, he's telling me to stand firm in his word. Stand firm in what you know. Stand firm. And standing firm is looking at God's word and being 
being discipled and this process of sanctification that takes place in your life. Standing firm is standing firm on the word that you know. There are a lot of things that happen in this world, a lot of things that are going on in politics and uh, social media, a lot of things, and people are being swayed back and forth except for those that are standing firm on what they believe. Now, they may be right and they may be wrong, but they're standing firm. And they'll listen to other opinions and other parts, but you know what? This is what I know. And one of the challenges that I have right now with people that are coming from uh, other churches and places is that there's a lot of teaching that has been taught. And, you know, a lot of good teaching, I'm sure. Some of the things that I share with you are, are kind of like, what? I never heard that before. Like, for instance, we're going to talk about falling from grace. Falling from grace, people have taken that verse and said, you see, you can lose your salvation. Well, and I'll explain to you in a little bit how that doesn't work that way. But you cannot lose your salvation if you are firmly in his grip. And I'll, I'll go through some verses with you and show you that. And, and so there's some things that you may, might hear, and you know, that just doesn't sound, that's not what I heard, that's not what I learned. And, and if you can find verses that can show you this, uh, apart from this one, this is one of the verses that most people use, then, then I, you know, show it, show us, show us what it is that you have, and, and let's, let's talk about this. Because the Bible knows nothing about being unregenerated. The Bible knows nothing about being unborn. If you have been born by your mother and your father, you cannot be unborn. You can die, but you're born, you're born. And that's it. When conception happens, there is a child growing within that mother's womb. And that child that is growing within that mother's womb is alive. Now, un unfortunately and sadly to say, some of them don't make it to, uh, to birth or to come out of the womb. However, there was conception. There was life. And that child continues to gave life, gave its life, and God brought it home. We don't understand why or how that happens, but it does. And every child that comes into this world, whether through full birth or, or from conception on, every child that comes uh, into this world has a purpose. Our problem is that we get so caught up in the pain and the agony and myself and me and woe is me and what, what, what happened. If you ask and you look and you focus on God and you think on God and you, you, you act on God, God will show you this is the purpose of that child. And it could just be for, you know, and, and that child, as sad as it sounds, is in, is in eternal bliss with God, where each one of us are going to be eventually. You know, you can be one year old or you can be 100 years old. It's still a short period of time. We think that's short. You know, beloved, 120 years is short in the span of eternity. For freedom, God has set us free. He says, stand firm then. This is something that he's saying, you know, don't put up with this doctrinal error of going back to the law, of having to circumcise yourself, of having to get baptized, if you want to put it in today's vernacular, uh, having to take the Lord's, or whatever the case may be. You have been saved by grace through faith in Christ alone. Always and always, and that's it. Now, we're going to go into what that means as we go into these next two chapters. So, okay, I'm saved. That means I don't do anything. No, <laughs> you got to walk by the Spirit, not by the flesh. you gotta, you got to get rid of all this immorality in your life, all this thinking. You have to keep moving that away because we are very sinful people. And it causes our sin nature, causes us to fall against our 
uh, our sinful nature. And so rather than looking on circumcision as God had given it, a lot of the Jewish people, they looked at it as a covenant promise. They believed, okay, if we're circumcised, that's it. We're done. And for, for God, it was always uh, a symbol, a symbol of God wanting to add grace upon them. And it was just a symbol, but it's always been by faith. Uh, righteousness has always been by faith. We've been seeing in the last few chapters that Abraham, it was counted to him as righteousness because he had faith, that he was going to be the father of many nations, that he was going to have many children, that you couldn't even count his children. If you can count the stars, that's how many kids he would have. Abraham was old, and God promised him this promise, and he was about 99 years old when he finally had his promised child. We've gone over that over and over again. But what, what uh, God was telling Abraham, this symbol of circumcision is a symbol of my grace to you, how I want to impute this righteousness upon you. I want to give to you this righteousness. And salvation has always been by faith from the very beginning up to Jesus Christ. In the Old Testament, the, the fathers, they all looked forward to the cross they didn't know what they were looking forward to, but it was the cross that they were looking forward to. And us today, we look backwards to the cross, and it all ends there, and it begins there. So how can I know that I'm firmly in His hand? Well, first of all, number one, I need to reject false doctrines. I need to reject false doctrines. Look, I, Paul, say to you that if you accept circumcision, Christ will be of no advantage to you. He says, I, Paul, Paul is the, the, the Pharisee. Look, this is the life that I came out of. As a matter of fact, he was killing Christians because they wanted to get away from the law. They, they hated Christians. Paul was one that was very, he was breathing mur murderous thoughts and murderous words towards these Christians, wanted to annihilate them, put them in prison. And he was on his way to Damascus when Jesus Christ stopped him. Couldn't have found a better tool that knew the law, understood the law, understood the purpose of circumcision, at least in his eyes and understanding. And he says, I, Paul, you know, you remember me, the Hebrew of Hebrews, the, the guy that knew the law forward and backwards, I'm telling you that circumcision is of no good. You know, it's, it's of no advantage to you. I testify again to every man and who accepts circumcision that he is obligated to keep the whole law. And so this law, this tradition of the circumcision, Paul says, look, if that's what you want, <clears throat> if that's what you want to do, then here's what you got to do. Not only do you have to follow that, you have to follow every single law from that. You, want, you failed in one, you failed in all of them. You see, as I said earlier, the, the law was meant to show us that we needed a Savior. The law was meant to show us and point us toward the direction of Jesus Christ, not the lamb that they would sacrifice once a year, not all the offerings and grain offerings. And, and you couldn't keep the law. It was perfect. It was completely perfect. It was there to show us our sinfulness. Paul says, okay, that's been dealt with. Jesus Christ didn't come to abolish that law. He came to fulfill that law. So when he, when he gave us that law, when he gave us the law, it was to point us to the direction of Jesus Christ. When Jesus Christ shows up, now we have. Salvation through faith. Number two, in order to understand that I'm in his grip, I need to realize your security in Christ. I need to realize my security in Christ. 
You are severed from Christ, you who would be justified by the law. You have fallen away from grace. And this is a very interesting verse because when taken out of context, it would show you, yeah, well, that's, it says, there, it says it right there. If you have grace, then it's taken out of grace. I mean, you're falling out of grace. And that's basically what it's saying. The, one of the reasons I kind of went over a, a quick overview of the book of Galatians is because when you put it in the context of what Paul's talking about, he's not talking about the security of the salvation. He's not even talking about how, how to get saved or, you know, he's saying, salvation is here and you accept it by grace. If you look at it and you see it and you don't want it, then you've fallen away. It's not even a part of who you are. You can't even accept the fact that you have to live by grace, by faith. And, and it's the grace that saves you, not your works, not the law, not anything else but the grace of Jesus Christ, the blood of Christ. And so Paul is not dealing with the security of the believer, but with the new way of contrasting the grace and law, works and faith, means of salvation. He is not teaching that a person who has been once justified can lose his righteous standing before God and become lost again. By being circumcised or otherwise legalistic, the Bible knows nothing about being unjustified. The Bible knows nothing of being unborn. You cannot lose your salvation. One of the things that I have seen and that what I have witnessed myself is people say they put their salvation on the shelf. You know, I'm putting it on the shelf for a moment, and this way it gives them the ability to do what it is that they want. Or they lose their salvation, and then they come back and get saved again. Or and they lose their salvation again, and, and they, they, they come back and get saved again. Beloved, if I could lose my salvation, I'd have lost it a long time ago. Because I am a vile, wicked sinner. I, I, I sin on a constant basis, on the things that I say, on the things that I do, on the things that I think. Now, don't get me wrong. I'm not a wine-bibbing, adultery, murderous alcoholic going out there terrorizing the community because that's what most people think. Well, I don't do those things. You know, I don't, I don't, I don't drink and I don't chew or I don't hang out with women that do. You know, I don't do that kind of stuff. I'm not an adulterer. I'm not a murderer. Well, I hope you're not, you know. Okay, don't raise your hands if you are. Anyways, uh, I, I hope that that's not you. You know, and, I, I, and so we think, you know, I don't do all that bad stuff. But the Bible says if you sin in one, just one, you've sinned in all of them. If you've ever said a lie, one lie, then you're a liar. In the Bible, in the Bible it says that God expects perfection to make it into heaven. And beloved, I've already messed up. I mean, time and time again. And, that, and it's only 11.30 in the morning. And, and so, so when you think about falling from grace, people are thinking about the stuff that they used to do. Well, yeah, that, all that is bad. But what about the stuff that's going on inside? The anger, the jealousy, the resentment, the unwillingness to forgive, the bitterness, the hatred, all of those things that reside within the heart that God says when the moment that that comes up and you think upon that, how about the lust, pornography, videos, texts, just the moment you think upon those things, you've become an adulterer. Jesus said, any of you, you've heard say, do not commit adultery. I say to you, anyone that looks upon a woman lustfully, you've committed adultery. I mean, you're a sinner. 
You're an adulterer. If you're ever mad at somebody, at your brother or anybody else, it, you've heard it said that you know, do not be angry at your brother. I say to you that if, you're, if you call your brother Raka or a fool or get angry at him, you've committed murder. Right there in just those three commands that Jesus Christ gave us, we are lying, murderous, adulterers. That cannot get us into heaven. If I could lose my salvation, if you could lose your salvation, none of us would be standing here. I didn't earn my salvation. I didn't ask for my salvation. I didn't beg God for my salvation. God gave me his salvation. And because he gave it to me, he can't take it away. He doesn't make you a child of God and then make you an unchild of God. He's not precocious. He's not like, well, today I don't think, I don't think I'm going to give it to you. I'm going to make you unsaved today. You know, here's, here's a really interesting thought. And I just want you to think about this for a little bit. In all that I had ever done, in everything that I have ever said and going to say, in all the stupidness of my life, God chose me anyways. He chose me anyways. Now, that blows me away as to why he would do that. That blows me away that God would give me that salvation because for no reason at all. Not because I was healthy, wealthy, and wise not because I was smart or whatever the case. He just gave it to me. And because he gave it to me, he can't, I can't lose it. He'll never take it away. Paul's primary point in this passage is, is if you look at uh, Romans chapter 8 in your outlines, it says, and those whom he predestined, he also called. Every time you see the word called when he's calling you, that's the efficacious call of salvation. That's the call of being saved, not being called into the ministry, called into a whatever the case. It's always a call. Every time you look at it and see it in the Bible, it's a call unto salvation. And those he predestined, he also called. And those whom he called, he also justified. And those whom he justified, he also glorified. We are glorified in the future living beings right now. Right now, the moment that God predestined you and called you and justified you, you have been glorified. Just to give you a quick update, being regenerated, being called, is the rebirth of a believer. Sanctification is the process that we're going through right now. The justification process has happened, and now it's the sanctification process. One day we will be glorified and placed into heaven. But until that, from the time that we were reborn, regenerated, to the time that we are glorified, from the time of justification to glorification, there is this sanctification process that is taking place through here. That's why you are here today, to learn more about your sanctification. What does God desire for me? What does he want me to do? I want to do what I, I want to do. I want to do what pleases me because it pleases God. How can I know that? Well, beloved... The best way is right here. Know what it is that Jesus Christ wants. What does he want from you? What did he do for you? What is he asking you to do? What is he telling you not to do? It's right here. Another way is, of course, attending a church service, one that is going to teach you the truth, stuff that you may not like, but it's there. Stuff that you, I just, I, that's just too far out for me. Wait, I never learned it that way. That's what it says. I don't argue with it. I, you know, that's what it says. 
But, but I thought it meant, well, you know, it, that's probably what you thought it meant. But when you look at it in the context of, of the chapter of the book of who he's talking to, you'll come to realize that that's not what he meant. Or, you know, well, I thought, you know, whatever the case may be, we come together, we have Bible studies, uh, and, and we, we group together, we have worship, we sing, we, we study, and we learn, and we hear. But most importantly, you've got to read the Word of God. You know, the Word of God is so accessible now. It is, I mean, everybody has it on their phones, right? Can I get an amen? So, so if you have it, if you have your phone open right now and you're looking at your phone, I'm just going to assume you're not playing Candy Crush. I'm just going to assume that you're looking at these verses in your favorite translation. Okay? That's what I'm going to assume. And, and the, the funny thing is, we have these daily Bible verses that come to us. We just kind of glimpse through them. Okay, boom. We don't memorize Scripture anymore. We don't study Scripture anymore. You know, when, when we were growing up in the faith, I, I, got, I, I came to the saving knowledge of Jesus Christ at the age of 30. And one of the first things that happened to me is my pastor took me under his wing and discipled me along with a bunch of other guys. And, and memorized scripture, memorized scripture. And there's a lot of verses that I've memorized throughout the years because of that habit. To, to have something to always fall back onto. You know, God said something or other. Well, let me tell you. I pull out my phone, search engine, boom. Oh, there it is. This is what God said, you know. That should be at the tip of your fingertips, in, your, in your, the tip of your tongue, really. should be the tip of your brain, your memory. Every time something comes up, you have a verse to fall back on. You are saved. When you've come to know Jesus Christ, the saving knowledge of Jesus Christ, it has done a miraculous work within your life. You can't do it. You know you can't. You've tried. You've tried changing your life on your own. You've tried uh, doing things differently. You walk out of here thinking, I'm going to love God with a, what the, and that person just, you know, and, oh, I'm sorry, that was a personal confession. You walk out of here wondering, okay, well, what happened? And that's just today. And then you go off on Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday. And then, you know, you know I want to come back on Sunday. Oh, wow, don't we have something to do? Yeah, I'll come back next Sunday. You know, I'll make it the following Sunday. You know, and the further and further and further away that you get from God's word, the harder it is to live that life that God gave you to live. It is. You need a daily dose. You need God's word. Somebody once asked me, why do you, why do you preach for so long? I don't know, because people keep coming back. If they don't come back, I guess I'm going to stop preaching. But if they come back, I'm going to keep preaching. <laughs> because I want you to get this. I want you to get what it is that God's Word is saying. As a matter of fact, in Romans 8, 33, 34, Paul says, you know, nobody can take this away from you. Who shall bring any charges against God's elect? It is God who justifies. Not you, not me, not the pastor. Who is to condemn? Christ Jesus is the one who died. More than that, who was raised, who is at the right hand of God, who indeed is interceding for us. You have this powerful source, which is Jesus Christ, to get through every single day. You have that source. You have another powerful source, which is the flesh. And when Paul starts to talk about the flesh and how we allow, allow it to, to infiltrate our life, then we, we become overcome by the flesh. This is why we need to live by the Spirit. And we'll be touching on that here 
in the next few weeks. Number three, you need to rest in the Holy Spirit's preservation. You need to rest in the Holy Spirit's preservation. Hey, brother, can you give me a water? This, this, this sounds like a two-bottle message. <laughs> I usually finish after I'm done with my water, but uh, I'm, I'm just halfway through, and I'm not even going to go through all this today. Rest in the Holy Spirit's preservation. Okay, if you don't know this by now, if you haven't heard or at least know, some, uh, gotten some inclinations, some people have called me a Calvinist. I'm not a Calvinist. You know, I, I, I don't know Calvin. I haven't read Calvin. I, I, like, I like the doctrine of grace that he put together. And he put this, this, this doctrine of grace together by using an acronym called TULIP, T-U-L-I-P. The last letter in that acronym is the perseverance of the saints. The problem that I have with the perseverance of the saints, it, it, it gives me the power to continue to persevere. I'm the one that is doing the work. I need to continue to be discipled and to go through the process of sanctification, but I don't preserve myself. And it would probably be better called the preservation of the saints, to be preserved. See, because when you're saved, God preserves you and holds you. He keeps you. He, he's the one that holds you tight. Thank you, brother. I meant just, yeah, just two bottles, not three. No, no. I'm afraid people won't come back. We need to rest in the Holy Spirit. Look, look what Paul says in 5 and 6. For through the Spirit, by faith, we ourselves eagerly wait for the hope of righteousness. Paul now starts launching off into the Spirit. And for the next few verses, he probably mentions the Spirit like five or six different times. And he's talking about the Holy Spirit and His responsibility and what He does. For through the Spirit, by faith, we eagerly wait for the hope of righteousness. Our goal is that hope of righteousness. We, ha we have been given righteousness. But the hope of righteousness is the hope that is in heaven for us to be fully righteous before God. We have been justified. And now and we will be glorified. In other words, we will be like Jesus while we're in heaven. And that's what we wait for. For in Christ Jesus, neither circumcision nor uncircumcision counts for anything, but only faith working through love. And so this is the fourth consequence of trusting in works. It is to be excluded from the righteousness for which there is hope that the believer has. In other words, what he says, what Paul is saying, you have fallen away from that ability to have this righteousness imputed to you in heaven if you're going to continue on with the law. Paul hated with a passion this hybrid gospel. Paul hated with passion this hybrid Christianity where you can call yourself a Christian and then do whatever you feel like in the flesh. And churches upon churches, we have people that live and call themselves Christians, and the only Christian thing about them is the name. They sin, they, they, they yell, they, they cuss, they, all these various things that things shouldn't be happening within the Christian world. Their sexual immorality, the, 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 the mindset of a, of a person. Now, I said that I was a, a sinner, which I am. And I, I'm, a, I'm a sinner that's been saved by grace. And a person that continues on in that sin just basically shows that, well, he was never really saved. And this consequence of not wanting to understand this grace, this salvation that comes to us by the grace of Jesus Christ, by God himself, 
this, this willing, this desire to want to work for it and do these things, go to church and do all these. We don't do those things to get saved. We do those things because we are saved. I desire to be here. I desire to be with the fellowship. I desire to be with those that want to talk about Jesus Christ and how to grow even more so in my life. I desire to do so. So in your outlines, there are perseverance of the saints. You can fill it in there and says preservation of the saints. I I would prefer to call it that. And uh, that's probably one of the many places Calvin got it wrong. How does God preserve me? How does he keep me? And very quickly, number one, I, I am regenerated. I am regenerated. When you are saved, you come to know Christ as your personal Savior. You are brought into a relationship with God that guarantees your salvation as eternally secure. And to be clear, salvation is more than saying a prayer. Salvation is not the sinner's prayer. Many people have have walked up and, and you've gotten saved by a sinner's prayer. It's not a magic formula. It's not a, a something that you say or do or come forward. Salvation happens within the heart. Salvation, when you are regenerated, all of a sudden, that sin, that sin which you know of, just causes you an, a, a, a sickness, a pain, and a, a, this ugliness within the pit of your stomach. It causes you to want to say, you know, I don't want to do that anymore. Uh, you know, I, I have offended a holy God. And because I have offended a holy God, there's going to be judgment and wrath to come upon any person that does not repent. See, that's genuine repentance. When you understand that God is holy, He does not allow anything but perfection into heaven. I can't make it into heaven. I need a Savior. Jesus Christ saved me and provided for me. And now that sin within me, now that I'm born again, I don't want anything to do with that sin that I was constantly following that I was so caught up in, whether it be the things that I just mentioned. Whatever it is, you come to a saving knowledge, understanding, I don't want to do that anymore, God. You know what? I, I slipped and I, fought, I fell. Okay, God will pick you up. Come on, let's keep going. You know, and I slipped and I, you know, I messed up. And, and I, I don't want to do that again. And every time, you see, you're forgiven, but the consequence is still there. The consequence will always be there. You could... I could lie. I could tell a lie, and, and, you know, the consequence of that would be, you know, that I won't, uh, you won't trust me anymore. I could, I can commit murder. There are two severities of lying or two severities of sinning, and they're both sinful in the eyes of God. I may be forgiven, but I have to suffer the consequences of that murder, incarcerated for the rest of my life. And understanding that I am regenerated, that's how he preserves you. Understand that you're saved. In John chapter 3, he said to Nicodemus, Jesus answered him, Truly, truly, I say to you, unless one is born again, he cannot see the kingdom of God. You cannot see the kingdom of God without being regenerated, born again. Titus chapter 3, he saved us not because of works done by us in righteousness, but according to his own mercy, by the washing of regeneration and the renewal of the Holy Spirit. Not because of things that I've done, not because of who I am. He saved me totally because of who he is. In Ezekiel, this is, the, this is a concept that's been known from even in the Old Testament. He says, and I will give you a new heart and a new spirit. I will put within and I will give you a new heart. 
and a new spirit I will put within you. I don't know what happened there. <laughs> Anyways, uh, but I guess I needed to say it twice. <laughs> I will remove the heart of stone from your flesh and give you a heart of flesh. And I will put my spirit within you and cause you to walk in my statues and be careful to obey my rules. He said, I will take your stone of heart, your heart of stone, and replace it with the heart of flesh. For as the body apart from the spirit is dead, so also faith apart from the works is dead, is what James says. Number two, I am sealed by the Holy Spirit. You know that when Jesus Christ enters your life, the Holy Spirit resides and he seals you. In him, he says, you also, when you heard the word of truth, the gospel of your salvation, and believed in him, were sealed with the promised Holy Spirit, who is the guarantee of our inheritance until we acquire possession of it in the praise of his glory. This seal that God had, the Holy Spirit, the seal that was well known in the, in the New Testament times. It was, it was a wax uh, seal that was impressed on by a wing, ring, and it had this emblem of the king or whoever it was that was applying that seal, and that was authenticity. It did two things. It protected the document, and it also promised whatever was in that document to be fulfilled. And that's exactly what the Holy Spirit does. He has sealed you. He has made you God's, into God's family. And then in, and Jesus says in John 14, 17, Even the Spirit of truth, whom the world cannot receive, because it neither sees him nor knows him, you know him, for he dwells within you and will be in you. When you commit your life to Christ, that's the first thing that happens. You receive that seal. You receive that promise. You receive that, that, that reward, that guarantee. In 1 Corinthians 12, 13, it says, For in one spirit we were all baptized into one body. Jews are Greeks, slaves are free, and all were made the drink of the one spirit. You were baptized into the body of Jesus Christ. You were not baptized by the Holy Spirit, but you were baptized into the body of Jesus Christ. The last thing I want to share with you is that I am protected. You can know that you're being preserved because you're protected. He preserves you. He protects you. He holds you. For I am sure that neither death, nor life, nor angels, nor rulers, nor nothing present, nor things to come, nor powers, nor heights, nor depths, nor anything else in all creation will be able to separate us from the love of God in Christ Jesus our Lord. Now, some of you are thinking, okay, well, I, I sure haven't been protected pretty well. You know, I know some people that I prayed for, my parents, my mom, my brother, my sister, my kids, that I prayed for protection. It just didn't seem to happen. This is Paul. This is Paul speaking to the people in Rome. This is Paul that went to Rome and was imprisoned for over two years. This is Paul who was beheaded. This is Paul. And these words are what the disciples and all the apostles had preached. And they preached it in such a way that brought persecution upon themselves. And in the world standard, in the way of looking at it from a worldview, they weren't protected. Because again, going back over the, what, what every one of these apostles went through. Every one of them. And at any given point, any one of them could have said, yeah, I was kidding. <laughs> I'll renounce Jesus. That's all they asked them to do. Renounce Jesus or you'll die. No, yeah, okay. I, no, they didn't. They took Jesus Christ to the, 
pot of boiling oil to the burning fire, to the crucifixion, to the beheading. They took Jesus Christ all the way. You see, don't be afraid of what the person that can hurt your body can do. Be afraid of him who can not only hurt your body, but condemn your soul to hell. That's who we ought to fear. That's the person we ought to give our rewards to and our reverence to and our salvation to. And when you commit your life to Jesus Christ, when you do so, you're you're born again and you're sealed and you're protected. Not from the flu, not from the pearls of this world, but you're protected from the evil one. And he cannot take your soul because it belongs to God. It belongs to God. One of the problems that happens with this doctrine of the security of the believer, the perseverance of the saints, or the preservation of the saints, it has been known as the once saved, always saved doctrine. That one there is it's kind of it's some, somewhat similar. It's, it's that saved where I came forward, I gave my raised my hand, and I, I, you know, I did all that stuff, and I'm once saved, always saved, and they head out back to the world. And the question always comes up, well, what about those people that say they're Christians, that even got baptized? What about those types of Christians? Two common objections. You know, and they live a sinful life. They're unrepented. They, you know, they say and speak and spew and, and whatever, but they're Christians. Or, or what about the Christian who rejects the faith totally out, outright, grew up in the church, and no longer just denies Christ. Yeah, you know, I don't, what about those guys? Yeah, you know, I'm going to heaven anyway, so I don't, I don't need to go to church. I love God, I love Jesus, but I hate the church. You know that the church is Jesus' bride? That's kind of like you coming up to me and saying, you know, Pastor Zah, I love you. Man, but I hate your wife. That ain't going to go over too well. Okay, it's just not going to go over too well. I just want you to know that. I may lose my salvation at that point, no. <laughs> yeah, just for a moment. I lay holy hands on you. <clears throat> no, no. The problem with these objections is, is that they're assumptions. That everybody call, who calls themselves a Christian is a genuine, reborn again, uh, genuine, regenerated, sealed, and protected believer. The moment a person calls, and that's the assumption that people make, and it's a bad assumption. Just because they call themselves a Christian, well, show me your fruit. You call yourself a Christian, I can hold you accountable. And let, let me show you one thing that the Bible says. No one, 1 John says, who abides in him keeps on sinning. No one who keeps on sinning has either seen him or knows him. And, and this sin that you continue to do that's just so blatant, yeah, but I was saved, I'm good. It's just so blatant. Show me your fruit. As a matter of fact, the Bible also says this, that one of the reasons that they seem to go out is in 1 John 2, 19, they went out from us, but they were not of us. For if they had been of us, they would have continued with us. But they went out of us, but they went out that it might become plainly, that it, that it might become plain that they are all not of us. And that's why They've strayed away. They never were part of the flock. They never were part of the fold. Jesus even said to them, You will recognize them by their fruits. Are grapes gathered from thorn bushes or figs from thistles? The redeemed belong to Christ. 
And when they belong to Christ, they desire to do what he wants them to do. And so when the redeemed that belong to Christ desire to do what Jesus Christ wants them to do, what they do is they're able to do what they want because they desire to do the things that Jesus Christ desires. They desire to do the things that God desires. And so God is going to answer that prayer. God is going to continuously answer that prayer. I shared with you a bit ago about some pastor friends of mine that have passed on through the COVID. I, too, had the COVID, was in the hospital for a few days. And I just said, okay, Lord, this is where I'm at. I just heard that two of my friends died. And I said, okay, this is where I'm at. This is where I'm at. What do you want me to do with this? You know? And he gave me a, a, he gave me a clear vision of what it is that we need to do within the church. But the point that I'm getting to here is that the other pastor friends of mine, <clears throat> every one of them, they were praying in Jesus' name, in Jesus' name, that they get healed. Every one of them were praying that they get healed. And, you know, of course I wanted healing, but I wanted more, more than anything else. I wanted what God was going to do. Okay, Lord, what are you going to do with this at this point in my life? Is this, this mean that my ministry is over? Is this, oh, that's, that, that's a good way of showing it. <laughs> Either heal me or kill me. I don't, you know, one of the two. If the ministry is over, the ministry is over. You know, we'll, we'll just, you, you have to take care of the rest. And every other person that were praying in, in, in Jesus' name, that wasn't God's will. And I don't know why. I don't. Three pastors, one pastor's wife that I know of, uh, various friends. Good, good loving Christian brothers. But you see, when you look at it, at life, in a, in a way that you're looking toward God, what is it you want to do, Lord? How do I know? Well, you get into God's word. You desire to know him more. You spend more time with him. You know, it was interesting. I was sharing with a good friend of mine this week. I says, you know, it, I, I get into the word of God all the time. And I'm, I'm constantly studying, praying, reading, and, and studying. One of the hard things for a person like myself, and I don't know about if this is true with other pastors, but is for me to have a genuine, just me, myself, and God quiet time. Because I can justify my quiet time by, you know, going into the Bible and reading and, you know, okay, well, I did my quiet. No, that, 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 wasn't, that wasn't my quiet time. And, and I've noticed that these last few weeks, it's just gotten spotty. But I genuinely want to know what God wants me to do. And I got to keep going into God's word. Now, I have a good picture. I've been studying God's Word and doing quiet times for a long time, but it doesn't stop there. Now, that's just me. And I'm not saying that I'm, you know, more than you or no more than you. I'm not saying that. Some of you are having some very quality quiet time. Some of you are into God's Word and, and seeing what God sees and, and knowing what God knows. You know, and, and some really need to, but all of us, all of us need to amp it up a little bit more. We don't need outside revelation. Until you've gone through Genesis chapter 1 to Genesis chapter 21, 22 to 21, uh, Revelation, I'm sorry, from Genesis to Revelation to the end of the book, until you've gone through the whole book and understood it completely, you don't need outside revelation. All you need is this. Until you understand this and read it and apply it and live it. And you know what, beloved? None of us have, that I know of can get there. 
Because even though I've read it over and over again, and I continue to read it, 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 it comes out something different. That's God's living word. If God so turned your heart today, this morning, in such a way that you recognize that there's something within you that you know you got to give up, let me ask you to stand. Let's ask everybody to stand. I don't want to single out anybody. But if there, there is that, that turning, that change, I'm not going to ask you to raise your hand. I'm not going to ask you to receive anything. The gospel message is that God is holy and you are not. Jesus Christ died on the cross. That's the gospel message. And the gospel is not a suggestion. It's not a presentation. It is a command. Repent. Repent and be baptized. But before you get baptized, you need to repent. There needs to be repentance in our lives. And if that has happened to you, I'm going to ask you to do that this morning. Father in heaven, thank you once again. There is sin within our life. And we thank you, God, for the salvation that you've given us, the genuine salvation. And I know that each one of us know that we failed you somewhere. But, Lord, I, I, I want to thank you and I praise you, God, for those that have been truly regenerated and that may have been lost for some time or away for, for a moment. But now, Lord, you're working within their heart. And I pray, Father, that you cause this genuine repentance, that the regeneration that took place in their life is genuine and that the fruit continues to grow. And for those that have not yet or do not desire to, Lord, I, I pray you continue to work in their lives. I pray, God, that only because you are the only one that can make that change in our lives. Lead us this morning, Father, in all things. Keep us focused upon you and help us, Lord, to know you even more so. Thank you for your word that's been preserved. This is all we got. This is all we have. However, this is all we need. And we don't need any other outside source. So, Father, thank you once again as you continue to lead us and guide us. We pray these things in Jesus' name. And everyone says, and amen, and amen.